Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning and welcome to Thinking Out Loud with Donna. This is episode three of The Journey of Grief When Nothing is Normal Anymore, a personal narrative. The story of my walking through the valley of the shadow of death, except it wasn't a shadow, it was a reality. Walking through the shadow of death into the new normal. The process and the progress. The process and the progress. If you have not listened to the first two episodes, I encourage you to go back. You can find me, Thinking Out Loud with Donna, on Apple Podcasts, on Spreaker, and also on Google Podcast. So I've shared most of what I went through. The process, how I received the news that my husband died, the things that happened afterwards. But what I'm going to begin to delve into now is the lessons learned. The lessons learned. There's an old song, I can't even remember from which play uh, the song comes, but it's by Rodgers and Hammerstein, and it's called You'll Never Walk Alone, You'll Never Walk Alone, and this is part of the chorus, I believe, walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain, though your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on, with hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. And I hear the song, I hear the melody, and even now it it it, it calls me, it, it draws me. Now I, I have to add this up front. This is a faith-based podcast. I don't delve a lot into scriptures and text and theology. I'm not a theologian, but this is a faith-based podcast. So there will be references from time to time from my faith. I am a Christian. So there will be those references. But the process and the progress, I believe, is the same, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, meaning you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, or you don't. I think the process and the progress is the same. So as my late husband used to say, uh, Chew the feet, chew the meat, not the feet, chew the meat, spit out the gristle, if that's not your appetite, if you don't like it. But the process and the progress is the same. So we delve into lessons learned beginning with this episode. Suddenly, and sometimes unexpectedly, you are alone. The day can be an ordinary day, but suddenly death invades the peace that is your life, and everything changes. C.S. Lewis writes about life following the death of his wife. 
I think I am beginning to understand why grief feels like suspense, a state of being unsure and doubt about something. It comes from the frustration of so many impulses that have been habitual. Thought after thought, feeling after feeling, action after action had H for their object. Now their target is gone. I keep on through habit, fitting an arrow to the string. Then I remember and have to lay the bow down. So many roads lead thought to H. I set out on one of them, but now there's an impassable frontier frontier post across it. Let me read that again. But now there's an impassable frontier post across it. So many roads once, now so many cul-de-sacs. I think I mentioned it earlier in one of my episodes. Those intangibles that only you and your beloved, your spouse, your husband, your wife, mom, dad, a child, a friend, so many intangibles that you shared, so many things that you think about. I'll call them. Oh, I need to tell them this. Oh, I need to talk to them about this. And then you remember that past is blocked. It's impassable. What used to be a road leading to next is now a cul-de-sac. It's, it's, there is no next with you and the one you love. And Lewis states it quite eloquently, of course. So many roads, now so many cul-de-sacs. Lewis's reference ends with the idea of what was, was open roads, his relationship with his wife, is now dead end after dead end. Life after the death of my husband is the new normal, a place of living life as a single rather than a couple, a place where well-known roads once traveled are no longer open to you since your companion is no longer by your side. Or if they are open, the journey is different without a familiar partner. The conversations, the memories of joys and sorrows shared, the inside jokes, all gone. That road closed. Friendships forged in the crucible of life may disappear. Circles you once moved in suddenly become invisible. In my case, the ministry partners with whom my husband and I had connected no longer reached out to me. The church that had been family for almost 20 years became unfamiliar and distant. What I have eventually learned is that adjustments have to be internal, that I would need to turn inward to be able to embrace all of the events that would be set in motion after my husband's death. Now, years into reflection and introspection, I can see the nuggets of truths I have gleaned on this widow's walk are not only applicable to life after death, they are so applicable to any other challenge or loss in an individual's life. We suffer many deaths in our lives, the deaths of hopes and dreams, especially in this season, the deaths of relationships, the deaths of promises. Each time we undergo those deaths, we enter into a state of grief, whether we name it as such or not. And when I say in this season, if you're listening to this a year later or years down the line, I mean in this season, I'm in, we're in July 2020, we're in the the clutches of COVID-19, there's racial divide in the country, uh, there's food insecurity, there's job insecurity, uh, there's housing insecurity. All of these things are happening and all of them come with grief because there are so many losses, so many losses. I want to share my discoveries about life after death 
as support and encouragement to anyone who has lost a loved one and now wonders what now. And I call it life interrupted. I call it life interrupted. And this is from a Facebook thread some years ago where I interacted with someone who had lost a spouse. Her realized today that I got so used to my husband taking care of business and me catering to my needs that I feel handicapped. I literally can't get things done the way I used to. I'm so frustrated in the hashtag that struggle, feeling irritated. Me. It is your new normal. You have to find you in this season. Her. It feels so not normal. I don't know why it's just hitting me. Things just don't get done. It's shaking my head. So overwhelming. Yes, one day at a time. Thank you, Donna. Me. That's why it's called the new normal. It is your normal for this season. As much as we would like to function in the convenience of the old, it is no longer feasible or functional. Hashtag pressing forward with all deliverance. I must hasten to say that there are life interruptions and there are life inconveniences. An inconvenience is momentary and most of the time they can be repaired. We know what to do or what has to be done. An interruption has long-term consequences and more often than not, we just are not sure what to do or how to fix the problem. An inconvenience is a speed bump in the road. You hit it, move over it, and move on. A speed bump does not change the course of your journey. An interruption is a detour that takes you off a familiar road onto a path that you have never traveled and you have no idea where it leads and your GPS is not working. Life interruptions brings us to the place of what now? Where do I go? What do I do? How did I get here? Too often when we find ourselves in life interrupted, we also find ourselves holding our breath waiting for things to work out the way we want them to. The beat goes on. Absolutely, the beat goes on. We are searching, we are learning, we are discovering. I I mentioned earlier in one of the earlier episodes, it's a, a huge learning curve. Adjusting to the void in our lives that comes about because of loss. Huge learning curve. For me, of course, it was the loss of my husband. But you still have to learn how to adjust to that void, to that sudden change, that unexpected change, or that change that you knew was terminal, but you kept hoping it wouldn't happen. So you ask yourself the question, where do I go from here? The model for this section is the purported stages of death, as defined by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross from her book On Death and Dying. These stages are also known as the stages of grief as well. And I will look at them as stages of grief that can come about because of any loss. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did a lot of study on death and dying. And so uh, it may not be a book that, that is referred to much these days, but if you're suffering any kind of loss, uh, any kind of death of anything, although she may address physical death more, Look her up. Look up some of her quotes. Uh, look up some of her, her works and, and uh, begin to think about the process and progress. So the stages of grief, 
denial. This can't be happening to me, not me. Anger. Why me? It's not fair. How can this happen to me? Who is to blame? Bargaining. I will give my life savings if. Depression. I am so sad. Why bother with anything? Acceptance. It's going to be okay. How many times have we expressed the same sentiments about a situation or circumstance in our lives that had nothing to do with a loved one, but it still had to do with loss? Pathos and isolation are not just components of life after death. The emotional weight of loss and challenge is very much a part of the off-putting issues that bombard our psyche as we journey through life. I'm writing from a Christian perspective, yes, but I believe the principles and concepts that I have discovered are applicable for every individual, Christian or not. And so I'm going to work my way through the stages. I'm going to address each one of those stages that I just read. And I have principles and I have a concept. I have a principle and I have a concept. And so we're going to look at that first stage, which is denial. Principle number one, pretense is vanity. Pretense is vanity. Pretending that all is well, pretending that I'm strong, pretending that I'm moving forward with all due deliverance, pretending that I, my heart's not shattered in pieces because I want to present a strong front or I don't want people to think about uh, those things that are uh, happening with me. I don't want to be pitied. Principle number one, pretense is vanity. Too often, because I'm coming from a Christian perspective, as believers, we put on an act. We pretend we are not touched by the challenge that takes up residence in our living rooms. Our motive for doing so may be honorable. We want people to see faith in action. But I think even those who do not profess a faith as a Christian do the same thing. They, they, they present this facade that all is well. They don't want to weigh people down with their grief. They don't want to appear broken. They don't want to be pitied. But it's a pretense because we're still wrestling with the loss. There's a part of us missing because of the loss. When we put on a false face, whenever anyone asks, how are you? And we respond, again from a Christian perspective, blessed and highly favored. While that silent scream reverberates in the hollow chambers of our soul, this is vanity. More about saving face than honoring God. It's vanity. It's vanity. Saving face. There's a silent scream locked up inside me. And I want to tell someone when they say, how are you? I'm broken. I'm burdened. My heart aches. I'm lost. Our facade of all is well holds people at arm's length and builds a wall around us so that no one can penetrate. We will not admit our struggles to anyone, and even as we are gasping for the air of support, we pretend all is well. Look at me. Aren't I the super Christian? And I pat myself on the back. But here's the concept. 
Principle number one, pretense is vanity. Concept number one, there is a reason for and respite from the suffering. I look at Luke twenty-two thirty-nine, And he came out and went, and as he went to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at that place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. There's a reason for and a respite from the suffering. There will be times when our confidants and supporters will fail us. They will fall asleep on us and forget our request for due diligence. In those moments, we must turn to the rock of our salvation, to fall on our faces before him and cry out our anguish. One of my favorite Psalms, 61, verses 1 through 4. When we admit that the pain is real and the suffering acute, we open ourselves to receiving the strength that can only come from God. There is strength available to us in our suffering. And when we reach our pain threshold and cry out in our distress, we concede we cannot handle the situation in our own strength. So, we turn to our faith. We trust God to move us through from one moment to the next. We find a grief support group. We find friends who are there for us, who will support us. We find people who have gone through the same thing we have gone through. We find a therapist, Christian therapist, a therapist, a grief counselor who will walk us through the process. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of those surpassingly great revelations. This is the Apostle Paul talking. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, but my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, sake, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Not long after my husband passed away, the Lord gave to me the phrase, His grace is still sufficient. His grace is still sufficient, and I would proclaim that to everyone. I began to send out what I called um, e-notes of encouragement. I would email family and friends, and they were pretty much more than notes. They were more like essays, but I would send them out. And I would always end with, His grace is still sufficient. There is a song that I love. His grace still amazes me. We, we sing the song Amazing Grace, but I think it's been sung so much and so often that we've lost the impact of the song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And in grief, I am in a wretched state. I am wrapped in wretchedness. But his grace still amazes me. His grace is still sufficient. 
While the idea of suffering may be distasteful to us, it is the way of the cross. And if we believe that the call to the life of a disciple is a worthy call, we must not be surprised when we fall prey to suffering. In those moments, we must look beyond the hills to the source of our help and remember the suffering endured by Christ for us. To recall Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we look forward to that eternal glory. But I think that our light and momentary troubles are also achieving for us a glory in this life. A glory that points to God, but also a strength that is reflected through our faith as we trust God even in our suffering. And we must expect as one who follows Jesus, who endured the shame and suffering of the cross for my redemption. We must expect the same kind of suffering, the same kind of heartache, the same kind of pain. No, not taking a cross on our back and stumbling up a hill. But the pain and the suffering that comes with loss, that comes with enduring what Paul calls light and momentary troubles. We look to Jesus to persevere through suffering in spite of the suffering. 1 Peter 2.21 For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile, deceit, found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, or talked about, or, or spat against, or pushed back against, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, the cross, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. So what this um, is telling us, that our strength, we glean our strength in suffering from God. Jesus left us an example that we should follow in his steps, that we should trust him, in the suffering place. We should trust him in the life-interrupted place. We should trust him when we are going through denial. How can this be happening to me? Why did this happen to me? We will even sometimes blame God that he is somehow punishing us. Or why did you let this happen? But then we look back and we look to the suffering endured to bring us to a place where we can cry out to God in our distress. We can cry out in our loss. We can cry out in our suffering. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, by whose stripes we are healed. The rift that was between me and God is healed. I am now at one with him. And because I know that God is concerned about the things that concern me, that I can find comfort in his presence. He is the God of all comfort. But as the God of all comfort, he comforts me so that I might be able to comfort others. And so what I have learned, even as I went through this first stage, even as I was denying uh, 
the loss and the suffering and, and trying to pretend that all was well, I also realized that as God comforted me, comforted me, I could reach out to comfort others. That was that Facebook thread of saying, it's okay, it's your new normal. You're going to feel like this. You're going to struggle with those things that you didn't used to do, that your husband used to do, and now you have to do this. It's okay. And here's the thing. That Facebook friend years ago who was just feeling so overwhelmed in her loss, she's married again. She's married again. And though the void of the loss of her husband will always be there, her new normal is a new life with a new name with a new husband and a new way of life because the husband the new husband is not like the spouse that passed away so in this place where I am in the stage of pretense not just denying because I can't deny my husband died he died but I should not try to deny my pain or my my heartbreak or my loss are the moments that still come all these years later when I think, I wish I could say this to him, or I wish I could bounce this off of him, or I wish I could ask him this question, or I wish we could laugh together. Those cul-de-sacs that C.S. Lewis wrote about. So that's the first principle and concept. The principle being, in the stage of denial, pretense is vanity. Pretense is vanity, because a loss is loss, truth is truth. And so the quest is the concept. There is respite from the suffering. There is respite from the suffering. There is a place of rest from the suffering. And in the believer, it's in Christ. So I wrap myself in God's comfort and I wait for his calm assurance that he has not forgotten me. He has not faken. He has not forsaken me. So as we move through my little booklet, I pray that your heart is encouraged, and I encourage you, even as you listen, if you want to break down and cry, break down and cry. Scream, rant, whatever. Because here's the thing. It's, a, it's, it's, it's like catharsis. It's a release. The, tea, the tears are like a purging. And I tell people, when the moments come, go with the moments. Life has been interrupted, but your life has not ended. It's just that detour that you have to take into the new world. A new way of life. A new way of handling things. The journey of grief. Nothing is normal anymore. God bless you. As you move through this day, pray that the peace of God overshadows you. He surrounds you with his presence, fills you with his spirit, 
whispers in your ear. I've got this. I've got you. Until the next ep- episode, this is Thinking Out Loud with Don. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spreaker. You can find me on Facebook, Donna, not Diva Williams. You can find me on Instagram, Donna, not Diva. D-O-N-N-A-N-O-T-D-I-V-A. Donna, not Diva on Instagram. I also have a Facebook page, T and B. T and B. Until next time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. The Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.